Genesis 1. This is the second of a brand new series we've begun on foundations and specifically looking at the book of Genesis and all the things in this amazing book that are foundational to the faith and to the rest of Scripture and are, I think, absolutely essential in these days and in particular for our young people and I'm so thankful that they're here and that you're bringing them and God bless them to that end. Genesis 1 and let's look at verse 21, shall we? And God created the great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you again as we approach your word tonight. We do so as a needy people. We need your help to understand it, to appreciate it, to fully trust it. And I pray that each and every week as we look into this incredible book you've given us, each and every week, Father, you will enlighten us more and more and help strengthen our faith and help these young people to be strong in their faith in your word. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the mistakes often made whenever Christians approach the book of Genesis is that they immediately go into full science mode. I mean, every verse, every word, when some believers look at this book, is sort of dissected for all of its mathematical, biological, geographical, astronomical meaning, and so on. And I can say that I, for one, have always loved, and I still do, I love to read and study books that have that approach. And frankly, I'm glad that there are some scientists, past and present, who go to this book of, and through this book of foundations and show just how amazing the science of all of it really is. The danger of just that approach, however, is that creation and the foundation of all things wasn't written here in Genesis to prove anything. The first verse simply states it. In the beginning, God created. Boom. That's the proof. In the beginning, God created. And let me just say that that is not a thesis. That's not an argument. That's not a proposal somehow followed by scientific evidence that, that proves the very first words of the book of Genesis. No, what it is, however, is the word of God and thus the word of the only one who was there at the beginning when it all took place. And when it comes to the word of God, the one God-approved method of knowing that it is true is to believe it. I'll put it this way. For me tonight, I know. I don't hope or think or surmise or I haven't been convinced because of the books I've read. I know that Jesus created all things by his word. And do you know how I know? Well, I know what some people say and teach and have written about. For instance, look at verse 16, would you? And God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Now, that's interesting. Moses writing here that God created two lights for this earth. 
The greatest light to rule the day, Moses said, and the lesser light rules the night. Common sense to all of us here in this modern era. But you know, in ancient times, most people thought that the moon was actually bigger, larger than the sun. And it certainly appears to be, and especially, for example, the harvest moon. It appears to be eight feet in diameter in many places of the world, dominating the evening sky. And of course, the sun never looks to the human eye as large as that. So how did Moses know? People have written, the moon was smaller than the sun. It's actually six million times smaller than the sun. And that's not all. The verse before that, verse 15. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. In other words, the two great lights were for light upon this earth. And again, Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, we are, we are told in the New Testament. And most of the ancient Egyptians, in fact, most ancient civilizations, period, worshipped both the sun and the moon. And specifically, they would worship the sun because it was brighter, the brightest light in all of the sky. But Moses didn't really make that mistake either, so people say. That it would have been a huge blunder for Moses in the first pages of the Scripture if he would have declared that the sun was the greatest light in all of the sky, the firmament. Why? Because one star, this star, our star, the sun, is big. But you take another star, Antares, for example, it is so big that it would swallow up 64 million of our suns. That one star. 64 million of our star or sun. The star Epsilon is 3,000 times greater in dimension than our sun. And there are billions of these stars out there just in our galaxy. And there are 100 million galaxies or more, they surmise to happen. And yet, what does the Bible say about how God created all of these billion, even trillions of other huge stars and suns? He says five words. Look at it. You saw it. Verse 16. He made the stars also. Now think about that for a moment. The Bible spends 50 chapters, 5 zero. 50 chapters in the Bible, written by the same man, by the way, Moses, describing the construction and the details of the tabernacle. A tent. A temporary tent that's no longer on this earth. And yet just five words on the trillions of stars that are much, much bigger than our sun. And the reason is, folks, this book... This Bible is not written by men. It is written by God. And thus, it is written from God's perspective. It reveals God's will, what is important to God. It is a book about redemption. Therefore, it is a book about what matters to God, what God sees and what God values. So, you know, think about it. It's nothing for God to make stars. He made the stars also. Trillions of them. However... What did it take for God to redeem one soul? The Creator Himself had to come into and step down into His creation and suffer. 
You see, those 50 chapters about the tabernacle, those are all pictures of His blood, His sacrifice, redemption, the purchase price. So that you see, God is more interested in people than He is in planets. He redeems souls, not stars. So that again, I know, I tonight know that Jesus created all things with His Word, not because Moses got it right about the size of the moon and the sun. And by the way, there are hundreds of these kind of fascinating observations by believing scientists who point out the glory and the consistency of Genesis and creation science. And I love all of it, and I read all of it, but it's not the reason I know. I was 12 years old when I got saved. I didn't know any of that science stuff. Here's the reason I know it's true. On the screen, you'll see Hebrews 11.3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now let me read that again, especially since it's not on the screen. (laughs) I hear this. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. How do I know? Well, the Bible says through faith. You know, Paul told the Greeks in Romans chapter 1 that things we see testify that they were created by the one we cannot see. So yes, I know. Because when I believed it by faith, God did something. Guess what he did? Now, this is why we call this foundations, because The entire New Testament and so much doctrine in the New Testament is based upon what we're going to be looking at. For example, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 really wouldn't make sense if you don't fully understand Genesis. Here's 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Is that going to be on the screen, guys? Hey, there we go. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. We're going to look at that in the weeks ahead. That's Genesis. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you trust God's Word by faith, the same Creator that Moses is writing about in this book also does a miracle in your heart. The same Creator. You ever notice people say, well, it's such a contradiction in Genesis. It says that God created light, and then later He created the sun and the moon. What was the light before the sun and the moon? It was His light. It was His glory. It was the one that He put in my heart. The knowledge of Jesus Christ. People who get saved, God does a creative miracle in their heart. And guess what? There are hundreds of millions of these same miracles walking on this earth. There's over 200 of those miracles in this room tonight. Now, let me just give you one example tonight of how some of the things in Genesis are so completely missed, overlooked. Oftentimes due to this one lens academic approach to God's Word. Notice again, in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, you have the first mention of a crucial concept and word that's that's found in the rest of the Bible, and the word is blessed or blessed. Chapter 1. 
Verse 22, and God blessed them. So God created these living creatures, verse 21, that moves in the sea and the winged fowl, and it says, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. God blessed them. Look at verse 25. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after his kind, and every living thing that creepeth on the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. He saw that his creation was good. Yes, he did. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created them, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, folks, look, obviously this word blessed, found in the first chapter of the first book of the entire Bible, This word bless is a vital, very important theological word in the economy of God. Here in the creation story, you find that God Himself at the very beginning is doing something called blessing, whatever that is. God is doing the blessing, whatever the word blessed means, the Creator is therefore bestowing something on His creation. And of course, it's not just in the first chapter of the first book of Scripture that you see the word blessing and blessed. It's also spoken by Jesus himself in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And for good reason. Revelation 22, 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Again, first line of verse 22, and God blessed them. First line of verse 28, and God blessed them. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he does. And as Revelation shows, yes, he will. You see, folks, hear this carefully. It is an astonishing thing for us to contemplate, but it is true. God made creation because he is good and because he wanted something to bless. And God made man in his own image because he wanted something to bless forever. And not for nothing is the Hebrew word for blessed or blessing found over 400 times in the Old Testament alone. Not for nothing was the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who has ever lived, the greatest sermon. The first words begin with the word blessed. It says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible, Paul is reminding believers of what God did for them. Here it is, quote, before the foundation of the world. So before you get to verse 1, in the mind and the heart of God, Paul says before the foundation of the world, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. God created man, male and female, created he them, and God blessed them. Now look, whenever most people use the word bless or blessing or blessed today, and this is why we lose meanings, unfortunately, because most people, it's just an expression that's meant to end a conversation. It's gone on too long. You know, people are talking, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's great. Okay, well, God bless you. That means, bzzz. 
Is there a caboose on this train of thought? That's what they mean. Bless you, God bless you, go. It's a tool, right? And it's a cynical tool. It's not with God. And not so in the Scriptures. For the Christian, the word blessed or blessed is what we are by the grace of God from the beginning all the way to the ending and all the way into eternity according to the plan of God from the beginning. Now think about that. God blessed them. In the very beginning, in the very first garden, here in Genesis, God blessed them. And then God blesses them in the very end in the eternal garden in the book of Revelation. Two gardens, blessing from the one who can only give true blessing. This one word, concept, if you will, designed by God himself, describes his work with man. It is the word blessed. Think about this. James 1.7, we all know it, we quote it all the time. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. From, what's the next line? The Father of lights. He goes right back to the Creator. Every good gift, every blessing comes from the Creator. So in other words, all of the blessings in life, material blessings, spiritual blessings, physical, eternal blessings, all of the good things we enjoy, every good gift comes from above. Genesis the book of foundations, chapter 1, the foundation of this book of foundations. Blessing is found immediately. It begins with God. And that is precisely why all of God's blessings ultimately glorify God, not us. If you understand what blessings are and what it is to be blessed, you know that these good things always Give glory to God and not to man. The only way, hear this carefully, the only way, therefore, that God's blessings glorify man and not God is if man does not recognize the source, the foundation of them. See, that scripture we alluded to earlier in Ephesians 1. Remember what it said? It said, blessed be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. It's used three times. All three times in that verse, it's translated from a Greek word, eulegio, from where we get the word eulogy. Eulogy, you know, the Greek word literally means to speak well or to do well to someone else. When someone gives a eulogy at a funeral, they are thankful for that person and they speak well of them. That's why they eulogize them. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, speaking well of God because He already did well to us. People often talk about saying the blessing at a meal. Someone gives, quote, the blessing. Well, what's that mean? What does it mean? Because I can tell you that the Lord Jesus Himself did it. The Lord Jesus himself, when he was feeding the multitude with a creative act, taking this and making that, the Lord Jesus said the blessing. I want you to look at it. It's in Mark chapter 6, and see if it's on the screen. Here's verse 39. Jesus commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the grass. 
And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he, here it is, looked up to heaven and blessed. Verse 44, and they that, and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now follow this. The Lord, the Bible says that Jesus took this food and he looked up. He knows every eye's on him. He looked up to heaven to where? To the Father, to the Giver, to the Blesser. The Lord Jesus looked to heaven. He didn't look at the little boy. He didn't look at his mother and bless her. He looked up. Now, let me just ask you a question. The Bible tells us, and maybe you don't know this, do you know that the Bible tells us when and why a society and a nation goes down into darkness and vanity on a fast track. In other words, the Bible tells us when, like the United States of America or Great Britain or the nation of Israel or any other nation that's ever existed, the Bible tells us when it is and why it is they are given up to their own vile affections and they worship the creation instead of the creator the bible tells us when it's in romans 12 121 rather romans 121 we're all familiar with it right it says because when they knew god they glorified him not as god neither were thankful that's the moment that is the moment they became quote vain in their imaginations you see, anyone who is blessed but does not recognize the blesser is doomed. And the more you're blessed and don't recognize the blesser as a society or country, the more you are ruined. Dr. Bob used to say, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, he is well nigh hopeless. And these guys over here said amen. Notice again chapter 1. Look at verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you. I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the, in the, which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat or for food. Chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden. Wait a minute. The Lord God planted a garden. Eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. You know, a couple weeks ago I mentioned my grandpa's yard with all the citrus trees. And that when you have an orange and you open it up, it smells good. It tastes good. It looks good. It's beautiful. It, every single sense looks at that, and then lo and behold, by accident, it's perfectly good for your body. Wow. How that came along at the same time man was involved. Just amazing. Look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Pastor, it almost sounds as if the fruit and the nuts and the trees and, and the fish and the rivers, it almost sounds as if the whole earth was originally made for man's enjoyment. Almost. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And the Lord gave the man. 
It's called blessings. Now look, I realize that this is not the message that's being sent out from our universities, our high schools. It is not the message being sent out from Hollywood or our courts today. Their message is that the earth is sacred and man is a virus. Man's the problem. The message today being sent out, which is an attack and affront on God himself, you have to understand that. I read yesterday that, that when people get honey out of a comb, they are robbing. They are robbing the bees of what belongs to them. What are they going to do with it? When you go down, you get an oyster and you pull out a pearl, you are stealing. You are robbing mankind. What is the oyster going to do with the pearl? Nobody's going to see it. Now you say, that's an affront on God? Absolutely. The Bible says that Jesus ate honey. He ate fish. He broiled them for the disciples after the resurrection. Their message, you see, is that the earth is sacred and we're a problem. Our footprint is spoiling this pristine planet. That's the message, which is the opposite of this fundamental foundational reality and truth in the Word of God. So that now, I mean, just breathe in the hypocrisy for a moment. Because right now, elitists are flying all over the globe in their carbon-guzzling jets, wearing extravagant clothes, eating exorbitant foods, breakfast, lunch, and dinner at these confabs, doing absolutely nothing productive except lecturing other people. And in their lectures, before they return back to one of their many, typically many, massive estates, where they, by the way, consume more natural resources in a single day than you do in a year, and they are all smug with their cocktail parties and their red carpet award shows, where they can stand up and give even more lectures on television or wherever on how man is the problem. And in all of their hypocrisy and their extravagant and wasteful lifestyles, they do not recognize that their blessings come from God. They do not recognize that the food they have, the clothes they wear, the creature comforts that they have more than 7 billion people on this earth do are blessings that come from above. And in fact, the body of their life's work typically is set out to destroy God and His eternal Word. So here's this message. Their message is, don't receive God's blessing, even though that's the mandate in the Bible. Adam, go eat this. Be fruitful and multiply. Their message is, you don't receive those things. Don't eat that. I mean, how in the world did the United States of America start having a movement where we're supposed to eat bugs? That's it now. It's, it's a movement. You know, we can save this planet if we just all eat bugs. I'm out. <laughs> Don't eat that. Don't wear that. Even if it's wool, you're stealing it off that sheep. Don't build that. 
Don't drink that. Don't climb or swim or farm or fish or ride because you're the intruder. And as an intruder, you're the problem on this earth. See, Pastor, don't you believe in taking care of this planet? Yes, in fact, honestly, far more than they do. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Do you know it's an original mandate before the fall? You have a job. Take care of this creation. Dress it and keep it. Not only that, look at a previous statement, same chapter, but verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. Look at this. And there was not a man to till the ground. There wasn't anybody there to till the ground. Nope. But there needed to be in God's plan. There needed to be. And God provided that. You see, folks, how minds that are darkened. He was like, how can Europe... I mean, if you listen to the Europeans, some of these big meetings, how can Europeans, and now Americans, sadly, think the way they do? Well, they were the first ones to say no to this, no to the fundamentals and the foundations of why we're here. And they always get things backward. The blessings of God are meant by God to be recognized and also received. The Bible says freely received and enjoyed. The text we quoted earlier from Romans 1 says this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools who changed the truth of God into a lie. Worshiping and serving the creature the creation, and not more than the creator. Folks, is that not a per... It's amazing how 2,000 years ago, Paul described in detail all of these elitists that gathered last week at the Bilderberg Conference in Lisbon. I mean, it's a perfect description of these heads of Microsoft were there, and Google, and Amazon, and OpenAI. And they had the Chatham House rules. You know what that is, right? Chatham House Rules is where when you have these meetings, you're not allowed to talk about any of it, at least who the speaker was, and you're not allowed to reveal yourself. One of them was caught in a pharmacy a couple of days ago by the news media. They said, hey, you're so-and-so. And he said, no, I'm not. He lied. And they're like, we know who you are. But I'm not allowed to tell you who I am because I'm in this secret Bilderberg conference. Perfect description of these people who are gathering together to, quote-unquote, save the planet. You say, well, Pastor, a lot of folks just don't believe the whole creation story. I know. I know, and since about the early 1800s, they've believed another story. We'll talk about that some. By the way, I want to say that they say they believe another story. Because people who say they believe in evolution don't really believe in evolution. Because if you really, really believe in evolution, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week or the next week or the next week. <laughs> Look at chapter 1. We need to hurry. Verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish 
of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. What does that mean, Pastor, having dominion? It means Aubrey pulls in a marlin. That's what it means. It means that somebody takes a shotgun and shoots a duck and they have duck that night. And that horrifies people who don't know God, who don't understand God's mandate. The blessed were designed by the Creator. He says, go out and replenish. You know what they're designed to do? Be a blessing. Let me show you something. We're going to jump ahead real quick, but we're going to get into this in detail in about two months. Look at chapter 12, real quick. Chapter 12, verse 2. Here's more of the blessing, okay? The blessing goes on. In fact, it's going on tonight. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The blesser blesses people so that they themselves can bless the blesser and also be a blessing. Do you know what product placement is? You know, corporations will pay movie makers and actors to use their products in certain scenes. Or at least display the logo. You know, Superman picks up a big truck and he throws it into the sun, but it's a Coca-Cola truck. So you see Coca-Cola flying through the sky. There's actually a scene in a popular TV series that has nine, nine different Apple devices on screen at the same moment. That's product placement. It's also called uh, embedded marketing. There's actually a company in London, England right now that, that offers to pay pastors, preachers, if you make mention of certain products in your sermon. Product placement in a sermon. I would never. Excuse me for a minute. Pure, <laughs> pure life. Uh, more pastors choose pure life than any other. <laughs> Won't be long, I'll have like NASCAR buttons all over here. Chick-fil-A tie. Now, wait a minute. Do you know that God has embedded messaging? The only difference is it's not a product. It's grace, and it's embedded in your heart if you're a child of God. He blessed you with all spiritual blessings. And just like he told Abraham, now you're to go out and be a blessing. This goes all the way back to the garden all the way back to creation itself. God is the one who invented blessing, goodness, because he's a good God. It's part of his character. God has always intended for his people to reflect his grace by being a blessing to other people around them. You're, the Bible says, a new creature. That's a new creation. You're a creation in Christ Jesus. So, out in the highways and byways of life, Many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife. We're going to look at light and darkness. and It was, it was chaos and darkness. Making the sorrowing glad. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Out of my life, may Jesus shine. There's the light again. Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. Look at chapter 2, and we're going to close in a moment. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Don't worry, we're going to go back to chapter 1. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made, and God blessed. Now, wait a minute. There it is. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because then he had rested from all his work, which God created and he made. You know, God blessed the seventh day. The phrase with the six days, as we'll see next week and the weeks ahead, was the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and morning were the third day. It goes like that all the way through the six days, but you know what doesn't say the evening and the morning about the seventh day? Not at all. Because in the creation, in the mind of God, the seventh day doesn't have an ending. The seventh day is a Sabbath. Heaven, glory, eternity is called a place of rest. So that this blessing that God gave them in the garden, this blessing of enjoying God's presence and walking with God in the cool of the day and enjoying his creation that he made perfectly to be enjoyed by God's people in God's mind, that has always been something he wanted forever. There is no ending to the Sabbath rest. You cannot even understand the Sabbath until you go all the way back to what it means that he blessed it and he didn't end it. God has a glorious plan for us. And so much of that glorious plan is found in these foundational truths of the word of God. And God's people said, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask that you will help us. I pray again for these dear young people bombarded with deceits, with lies, foolishness, really. And I pray, God, you'll help them increase their understanding, the light that shines in their heart and our hearts, all of us here tonight, those who are listening where they are, in the face of Jesus Christ, increase our understanding, enlighten us, Lord. And thank you. We praise you that we are blessed. And I pray, God, in as much as a society or a country, neither were thankful, may it not be said of us, the remnant. We always be grateful for your goodness. We praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.